welcome to Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. I want to welcome everyone that's watching with us online, our Gateway family. We know there's people everywhere, really around the world that are joining us, so we're excited that you're here with us. Um, I'm going to dive right in. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, if you go to Version, just click on events, go to the live part, and you can actually get our notes and then just save them. It's a simple way to do it that way as well. But we are on the second part of our series that we just started this past week called In This House. And we're really talking about the values, principles that are a part of the house of God as a whole, but that applies to us personally. And even over the next several weeks, we'll be focusing on what does it mean in this house, like Gateway Church, what has God called us to do? Who has God called us to be? And we want to really focus on that, especially as we enter into this next season as a church. So that's really important for us to do that. This past week, we focus on really the pursuit of intimacy, that we could have a relationship with God, that we can be in God's presence, and the foundation of our relationship is love. So we focus on God last week. This week, we're going to focus on our relationship with others, our relationship with people. So I titled today's message, Uncommon Relationship. Uncommon Relationship. If you're here for any period of time, one of the things that you'll hear is a slogan, a motto, whatever you want to call it, but it goes like this. We're all about people. We're all about people. That's our heart as a church. We want to be all about people, and here's why. Yes, as a church, we're all about God. We're a place where we want God's presence. He's ultimately the focus. But if you read the the scriptures, he makes it very clear that he is all about people. And if he's all about people, then we want to also have that culture here at Gateway Church to be all about people. And so we understand, and that's the way that we, that's why we walk and do the things that we do. But as we talk about in this house, I have three points today that we're really going to go through. And the first one is this. In this house, community is our culture. In this house, community is our culture. Now, community for many years was kind of a buzzword. What does that truly mean? Yet we want to be in community. But if we're honest with each other, relationships can sometimes be a little bit messy. We all bring into it our own emotions. There's times conflict. We have our own expectations. Sometimes they're met. Sometimes they're unmet. And relationships can get a little bit hard, if you want to call it that. But truth is, God's, as God's covenant people, we're called to be in relationship, not just with him. We're also called to be in relationship with each other. You actually can't separate the two because there, there is no such thing as a lone ranger Christian who's isolated doing their own thing. We are members of the body of Christ, but we're only one part of it. And when we come together, we're much more powerful as we move forward in glorifying God. But I want to define culture for one second. Culture is defined by the behaviors and beliefs characteristic of a particular group. It's defined by the behaviors and beliefs characteristic of a particular group. But here's the thing we need to understand. Culture is first cultivated in our hearts before it's manifested in our surroundings. And here's what I mean by that. Culture just isn't about what you do. It's about who you are. And there's several illustrations that are in the world. If you, if you like to shop or you like to eat, there's a difference between going to an Applebee's 
and a Perry's, right? There's a little bit of a difference, just a small one. Not much, and I'm not just talking about price. There's also a difference between going to a Nordstrom or going to Walmart. Would you agree the cultures are slightly different and they attract people? And ultimately, culture, we have three different responses for how we can connect or disconnect from the culture. Here's the things we can do. We can change it. If we don't like the culture and we're called to come in and revitalize it, we can change the culture. That's actually the hardest, to renew and revitalize. We can accept it and say, hey, I actually want this culture. I want the culture to change me. I want the culture to change my heart. And that's what we're saying when we came into the kingdom of God, that I accept your forgiveness and your love, and I want to be changed into the image of Jesus Christ. But the other thing is we can actually reject the culture and we can move on to something else. But here's one thing I really want to hone in on. You can tell a lot about a community and a culture by what it celebrates. I don't know if any of you in here are football fans. I'm, a, I'm from Dallas, so I am a Dallas Cowboys fan. We won last night, so it was great. Go Cowboys, great. We'll pray for the other people in the room later. But what in a football game, what do people celebrate? What is it? They celebrate when there's touchdowns that happen, right? In a baseball game, when there's a home run, the crowd just goes wild. There's rejoicing. There's a celebration that happens. Some of us, personally, we may celebrate birthdays. Birthdays are a big, big deal. Some of you do it like a birthday month. I want to let you know there's no such thing as a birthday month. You get one day. That's all you get. The rest of us get days. If you're my daughter, uh, Addie likes to celebrate half birthdays a lot because her birthday is August 5th. And she never gets to be in school at the time whenever her birthday is. So she's like, we're going to focus on half birthdays. And it's mainly because she enjoys receiving gifts. But we celebrate anniversaries. We celebrate holidays. So there's celebration that happens all around us. But I have a question for us. Do we ever stop to think about what God celebrates? Do we stop and think about what God rejoices about and what, he, what makes him smile? In Luke chapter 15, there's a parable. There's actually three parables, but it's in response to a statement that is made by the Pharisees in that moment. It's a response, and he tells three parables. The first parable is a parable of a lost sheep, which says a lost sheep needs to be reconnected with the shepherd. The second parable has to deal with the lost coin, and a woman sweeps the house looking for it because there's a coin that is out of circulation that needs to be put back in its place in its proper use. And then the third one most of us know is the prodigal son, where there's a son who has lost fellowship with his father, but the, re- the reconnection needs to happen again. But I want to focus on the first one, but I want you to know why he actually said the three parables in the first place. And here's what it is in Luke chapter 1. It says, tax collectors and notori- other notorious sinners, they always put those together, often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together all his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. 
So what does God celebrate? He celebrates when lost things are found. Lost people are found. There's rejoicing in every single parable. There's rejoicing when what was lost was found. There's a celebration that happens. I feel like in every marriage, and I guess I can only speak really for my own, there's one person who tends to lose things more than the other. I don't know if that's true in your marriage. It may just be true in mine. But my wife's not here right now. She's dealing with a migraine, so please be praying for her. But out of the two of us, she's typically the one who is losing things. So I've gotten used to this, and I just know that for the rest of my life in perpetuity, we will be buying shades for me to Walmart or Target for the rest of our lives because she always leaves her shades behind. But here's what I've noticed whenever I go to a lost and found. Things that are valuable aren't there. Right? Why? Because things that are valuable, people go looking for. Like I've never been to a lost and found and seen an iPhone. I've seen an Android before, but I'm kidding. I am kidding. I am kidding. No judgment coming from this area. People around you might be judging you, but I would never do such a thing. But these days, I get a little bit nervous because people actually put their wallet on the back of their phone. And here's what I notice about those people. They never lose their phone because it's valuable to them. What's connected to it is valuable. It's important to realize you always seek what, after, what, what is valuable. You will always go after it. And when you lose it, you don't just move on. You go for it. And, and Jesus is saying in this moment, there's people that are lost. And while the Pharisees may have forgotten that, while they may have complained against him, he's saying, this is actually why I was sent. And this is also what he's calling all of us to at the same time. To not just simply be about who's already on the inside, but to bring those who are on the outside into relationship with him and into relationship with each other. I say it this way, because Jesus was the one to go after the one, he would go after the one sheep and leave the 99, we should also be the one to go after the one. So many people want more, they want more people, they want whatever to oversee, to lead, to touch, to influence. But if you can't focus on the one, you'll never be able to focus on the hundreds or the thousands. God cares about every single one to the point where he would drop everything to go after that person. And that's what he did for you, and that's what he's did for me, and this is also what he's calling us to do for other people. And here's what this community is supposed to be defined by. Jesus says this in John verse 13, verse 34 and 35, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He doesn't say, a new commandment I give to you, get as much knowledge as you possibly can. Because when you share that knowledge and you start spitting facts at them, people who are lost are going to respond to that. It doesn't say to condemn. It doesn't say all these things. It actually says the proof that you are my disciple is actually by the love that you have for one another. And here's the new commandment portion of it. He actually didn't say just love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. He actually changes that last part. And he says, love them as I have loved you. That's a totally different paradigm and it totally shifts what we may think. 
Because at this time, Jesus is coming to show us how we should live in community, in a covenant community with God and his people. This is why we have groups, so you can be in relationship with others. So I encourage you to get in one. So it's important that community is our culture. Here's the second thing. In this house, honor is our language. Honor is our language. Honor originates in our hearts and is actually reflected in our actions. And here's what honor means. Honor means to value, respect, or highly esteem, to treat as weighty or valuable. On the other hand, dishonor means to treat as common or ordinary. When you begin to treat something as just, oh, it's, it's, it's in my life, it's common or ordinary. There are things that we honor and things that we dishonor. That's actually what the words mean. And the Pharisees, as we talked about a second ago, they had their traditions that dishonored people and actually brought honor. What they were doing through their traditions is they were coming against the commandment to honor your father and your mother. And Jesus steps in and corrects them at this moment and says, you should not be looking for loopholes, but it has to do with honor. And he says this in Matthew 15, verse 8. He said, the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's why I say honor originates in the heart. Yes, we should say honor. Yes, we should compliment. Yes, we should speak highly. But what you speak actually comes from what's in your heart. So we should be people of honor, and honor should be our language. Now I want to say, ask us a question. Is it possible that God could do more works in our midst, in our community, or in our family if honor were present? Let me ask it a different way. Does dishonor hinder what God would like to do in the earth? I'm talking to y'all. Y'all can talk back to me. I know online you may be able to tell me. Yes. Yes. Okay. And I'm going to show you. Mark chapter 6, verse 1 through 6. And this is Jesus. He, it says, then he went out from there and came to his own country. And his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Judas, not Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus, but Judas, his brother, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Remember that. Verse four, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is without honor except in his own country, among his A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. It's funny to me that he did not consider that a mighty work, a lot of mighty works, and I'm like, that would be pretty awesome. But here's the truth. He actually wanted to do more. And that's where we have to get if we're going to have God do mighty works amongst us. Honor has to be present. He says, and he marveled, it said he was amazed because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. So think about this. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's on this earth and he's wanting to perform perform mighty miracles. He's wanting to change lives. 
There were some people who received their healing. I imagine they were the ones that honored him. But as a whole, they didn't honor him, and it said he could not do something. He could not. Not that he would not, but that he could not. That's a very powerful statement because dishonor actually hinders the work of God. This is why it's important that honor is our language, that this is our heart posture to really honor not just God, but also honor other people. But here is the problem. They were familiar with Jesus. They didn't hold him as weighty. They're like, we know him. He's the carpenter. And because of their refusal to acknowledge what God was doing in his life, they were not able to receive what God wanted them to receive. And it's the same amongst us that we need to be people that honor because honor is a bigger deal than we may think. From the very beginning, Exodus 20, God gives a commandment. He says, honor your mother and father. And here's the truth. In Ephesians 6, it says, this is the first commandment with a promise. You want a promise attached to a commandment? This is the first one. Because you were supposed to learn honor at home. And then you were supposed to learn to how to honor God. So it's important that from the very beginning, he weaved it in there. But here's why. There was a blessing attached to honor. It said that you may live a long life and that it may go well for you. Those, both of those are important because there's no one who would want to live a long life if it's not going well for them. But he's saying if you honor your, your mother, father and mother, there's a blessing that's attached to it. Here's another thing he says to honor in Romans chapter 13. He says to honor all authority because all authority is actually appointed by God. Did not say honor the people that you voted for. That's not what it says. Now, here's one thing we need to learn the nuance of, which it seems very hard in our society, is that you can disagree without, with someone without dishonoring them. We can learn how to disagree, but also still honor each other. And we can still understand that God has put them there. And I don't want to dishonor God, and I want honor to be my language, even amongst the differences that are, that are here, because we all have differences. We all have different backgrounds, and we need to still learn to disagree, but be honorable. And here's the thing we need to learn about the principle of honor. It's not old-fashioned. It's well-fashioned. God fashioned this principle to go throughout all time. Second Timothy verse 3, verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2 says, For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud. He's talking about the last generation. Scoffing at God, disobedient to parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. Here's what he's saying. They won't honor anything. It'll be all about self. There won't be any honor. And I feel like in this day and age, instead of a culture of honor, we actually have a culture of what I would like to term haters. I'm sure many of you may have heard the quote, and I heard it when I was younger, and I, I had some thoughts about it. But have you ever heard the quote, let your haters be your motivators? And I heard it and I was like, that's not a good quote. <laughs> Why would you want your life to be motivated by those that hate you? How does that make any sense? Instead of following God's peace, instead of following God's love, and even instead of following God's voice, you're just simply living to prove a point instead of living to please God. And he has something so much greater for every single one of us to be able to walk out in honor. So don't take the bait of hate, because the repercussions on the other side of it are much worse 
than if we would just simply love people even when they hate us because that's what God has called for every single one of us to do. 1 Peter 2.17 says this, honor all people. And I looked that word all in the Greek and it does mean all, just so you know. <laughs> love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. By the way, whenever Paul and Peter write about honoring the authorities, it's not because they had good authorities. Nero was one of them. He blamed the Christians because Rome was burning and then Paul ended up being martyred there. Peter was crucified upside down. The government authorities weren't kind to them and they're still writing this in that moment. So you have to understand it wasn't because things were great. It was actually because things were terrible, but they're saying the way that you're called to live because you're a follower of Jesus Christ is different than the way that the world would live. Romans 12, verse 9, it says this, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. I love how Romans 12, verse 10 in the ESV says it. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. This is what it was like if you're married or even if you're single and you're dating. Yes, you showed each other love, but constantly you were trying to outdo each other by honoring each other. You would be on the phone late at night for hours with that person. You would send love letters to them for just for them to read. You would send flowers, cards, whatever it is, you would communicate to them. This, this generation, they might do Snap. They might send a DM. That's a direct message for those that don't know. It's like a text message. Sorry, I'm going to break it down. But you communicated with honor. That's why it led to you being engaged, and that's why it led to you being married. And here's why, because people gravitate to those places where they're celebrated, not just tolerated. That's what happened there. But here's what can happen if we aren't careful. The longer you're around them, the more common and ordinary they can become. And you no longer hold them with value. You no longer hold what they say is value. And here's what happens. The relationship will begin to drift. Because relationships always deteriorate where there is dishonor. But where there is honor, relationships can actually thrive. It's important for us to understand that. But honor is a choice. It's not contingent, really always on the one you're honoring. Paul and Peter communicate that to us. But I'm going to go to Romans chapter 12, verse 17. It says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. And then verse 21, it says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. As believers, as followers of Christ, we should be people who are honoring even in the culture of dishonor. And that's the way that we show that good triumphs over evil. That should be our posture. Even in the Old Testament, David is a great example with King Saul. David was already anointing king, but he was serving King Saul. And because Saul would get so agitated, he was actually throwing spears at David, trying to kill him. Now, you got to know, David could have ended it. David was a warrior. He was a lover, but he was also a fighter. They were both combination, and he even had a time in a cave where he could have killed Saul and become king and taking matters into his own hands, but he chose to instead honor him in that moment. So honor simply is coming to the place where we value people the way that God values them because they're made in the image of God. So it's important that honor is our language. And here's the last thing. It's important 
that in this house, grace is our perspective. Grace is our perspective. But in order to have the proper perspective, you must have the necessary context. Context is important. Just the other day, Elaine and I were out on a date and we're at a restaurant. I try to not face TVs because there's typically sports on it just distracts me and I wanna pay attention. So she was sitting at a place where she could see the TV. I couldn't see it. I could see her, which was a great sight and a great view for me. So I enjoyed it. But as we were talking, she, she stopped at one point and was like, oh my goodness, there's a fight that's happening in that NBA game. So obviously I directed my attention towards that. And I looked at it, I was like, oh no. The context of that game, which she didn't know about, was that there was a guy who hit the game winner in the Knicks Celtics game and his whole entire team was coming on him and they were actually celebrating in that moment because he hit the buzzer uh, beater and they won. But if you don't have context, it looks like there's a whole group of guys that are running after one guy to beat him down. And that was the context that she had until I provided a little bit more. And here's why I say this is important, that grace is our perspective. Because you don't know the context of everyone's life. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know their past. Yes, God can heal, but we need to understand and have grace for where people are because you don't even know how far God has brought them to where they are today. So grace has to be our perspective as we navigate relationships. And it's needed to be in relationship with people. And here's why. Because people are human. And as humans, we all have faults and we all have weaknesses. And if you don't think that you have any faults or weaknesses, that's your weakness. Just here to tell you today. We all have them because we're human. But we can still see each other with grace. Colossians 3 verse 12 says this. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves... You must clothe yourselves. So put this on, tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. There's a new standard when it comes to forgiveness. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Whenever we are in a relationship with someone, whenever we fall short and there's hurt and there's pain, peace is lost. That's what Adam and Eve lost from the very beginning. They actually lost peace with God. They were ashamed, ashamed and hiding from him. If there was peace, they would walk with him like before. So how is their restoration and how is peace brought back into a relationship? Grace. He sent his son to the earth so that we can be reconciled to God and once again have peace in our relationship with him. And it's available to everyone. But it's a gift. There's nothing we can do to deserve it. But I have a question for us. I know we've all had, heard of IQ, intelligence quotient. We've all heard of EQ, that's your emotional quotient. But today I want to actually ask you here in the room, those that are watching online, what is your GQ? And it has nothing to do with a magazine. It has nothing to do with fashion. But what is your grace quotient? What is your understanding of the grace that you have received? 
Because your understanding of the grace you have received will be in the same amount that you give grace to others that need it. So we need to understand that grace isn't fair. That's why sometimes grace can be hard. Because we're so used to earning, we're so used to working. But grace, the definition of it is it's undeserved, unmerited, unearnable favor. Yes, we need it from God, but we also need it to be in relationship with each other. And this needs to be the lens that we see through. Grace implies there's an imbalance in the relationship and you're actually on the negative side. And in those moments when our guilt may be exposed, what we want is grace. We want what we don't deserve. We know that we've fallen short. We want to receive grace. But if we're not careful, we can fall in the trap where it's grace for me, but not for thee. See, Jesus has called us to say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And since we want to receive grace, we should also be giving grace. We should also love people enough where they are. The moment we believe we deserve grace is the moment where it's voided. All throughout Romans, Paul talks about it. It's either grace or works. It's not both. Grace is what saves you. It's what sustains you as well. I love a preacher one time said, he said, you can no more deserve grace than playing your own surprise birthday party. Just imagine if I gave you an invitation and said, hey, there's a surprise birthday party, so I need you to keep this quiet. Don't tell anyone you're invited, though. You would say to me, oh, well, who's the surprise birthday party for? And I said, myself. You'd be like, this dude is crazy, and I'm definitely not going to your party. But that's the way grace is. In the moment we say we deserve it, we don't, it actually reveals how much we don't understand it. Because you can't deserve it, and you can't earn it. Here's the other thing we need to understand about grace. Grace is inherently personal. This is why we know that God is a gracious God, because God sent his presence to be with us in, in true human form. It was God in the flesh. Grace is personal and requires our presence. Here's what I've noticed as a pastor for many years, that in the atmospheres where grace is present, that's where the best growth happens. But grace can be disturbing to those who have a religious view. This is why the Pharisees always came against Jesus and Jesus actually rebuked them harsher than anyone else. And here's why. Because they were keeping people from coming into true relationship with God. Grace is much better than we think it is. But growth that happens where you're having to prove yourself where you haven't accomplished it. It's not that you don't achieve great things by your sheer willpower, but it typically leads, from what I've noticed, to people having bitterness and entitlement. They achieved so much, but they actually weren't able to enjoy the journey because it wasn't filled with grace. And they keep trying to prove themselves instead of resting in the relationship they have with God and resting in the relationship they have with others. So we need to get to the place where we truly understand the grace of God and the love that he has for every single one of us because grace is the solution for just about everything. And there are numerous scriptures where God showed grace. Think about it for a second. We, we talked about earlier tax collectors and notorious sinners. They were the ones as tax collectors that would steal from their own people. So they're always put in the sinner category. And Jesus made Matthew one of his disciples. Levi is his name. You can, you can read it. He calls him to be one of his disciples, and he's the one who ends up writing the book of Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew. 
What do you think the rest of the disciples saw who were businessmen thinking, oh, you're going to allow him to be a part? You're just inviting anyone these days, huh? And then on top of that, he says to Matthew, I'm actually going to go to your house today. Who do you think Matthew would invite? His friends. Guess who were probably his friends? Tax collectors and other potential sinners. Because if you were a Hebrew, you would not be hanging out with them because of the way that they were treating their own people. And he comes into relationship with them. Peter, the person who was the one to head the church, definitely did not deserve it because you remember his story. He's the one who denied Jesus three times that he even knew him. We're not even in a relationship. We've been walking together. I don't really know the guy. Yet God's grace was enough to put him to a place and restore him to where he was able to be a leader within the church. Paul, whose original name, it actually Hebrew is Paul, Saul, but his Gentile name was Paul. Paul used to persecute the church until he had a radical encounter with God. His life was changed, and if you read the scriptures, he's the one who wrote over a third of the New Testament. Grace after grace after grace. God continued to show it when they didn't deserve it and when it wasn't fair and he chose the most unlikely people to do powerful things because of his grace. And even when Jesus was on the cross, there's several statements that he made, but one of them was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In the middle of people spitting on him, pulling out his beard, putting a crown of thorns, bleeding, being beaten, he still wanted to give grace to people who didn't even ask for forgiveness. And then there's two criminals that are on the cross next to him that are in extreme pain. And one of them saying, hey, Jesus, save yourself. Save yourself and us. I want to get off this. And then one other criminal says, hey, he's actually done nothing wrong. He doesn't deserve this. We deserve it. But he simply says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' response was, there's no way. Wouldn't that have been your response? But a response that was grace-filled would say, assuredly, which is what he actually said, just so you know, this is what he said. I assure you, I give you a promise, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't do potentially a good thing his entire life. See, that's why grace many times disturbs us because it's like, okay, but he had grace, now he has to do. It's like, well, grace is grace. It's not works. Yes, sure, we do good works, obviously. And when I say grace, I want to talk about it. I'm not talking about just giving grace to people that are continuously harming you or abusing you. Yes, you need to create separation or distance. I want to give some context even to what I'm saying. But in relationship with people that are healthy, yes, there are going to be differences and yes, there are going to be disagreements, but we can still give grace and let that color our perspective. C.S. Lewis said it this way, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And it's important that we let our lives be colored by grace because we're all going to have bad moments. We're all going to fall short. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to make mistakes. And in that moment, that's our lowest. Grace still applies. But in your moment where you're doing good and you're at your highest, you still need grace lest you fall into pride. I remember 
probably uh, 10 years ago. It was the year that uh, I got married. That's why I remembered it. We were planning for our wedding, me and Elaine, and we, it was really the week of our wedding, so most of my focus obviously was towards there, all the planning. It was people were coming into town. We had family coming into town. So it was a very busy time in my life. And there was a guy who was a part of our young adult community. I wasn't on staff at the time. And he came in and he was, he had kind of had a rough past. Uh, he wasn't really connected to others. He had been a drug addict beforehand. But he came to the young adult community just to try it out. Someone said, hey, come to church. And so he came to church. So he tried it out for several weeks, but he wasn't really making a connection and didn't feel like he was truly belonging. So he said to God one time, and really was kind of his final prayer. He's like, I'm going to go one more time. And if someone calls out my name, then I'll actually come back. But if nobody remembers my name, then I'm going somewhere else. And lo and behold, a good friend of mine, when he walked in, actually calls out his name. And then he ended up coming and hanging out with us. Which shows the importance that people want to be known in church. They want to be in relationship with other people. We're made for this. But it wasn't until several years later... It was 2010, he was going through another rough patch and he overdosed. And he was at home and some family who had been through a lot with him had seen him in this state before. They actually were just doing nothing. They were tired. They weren't going to deal with it anymore. And so the week of my wedding, I get a call from some friends saying, hey, this guy's in, in trouble and you need to go help him out. We're 45 plus minutes away. You live closer to where he is. So on that night, I was like, okay, I'll go get him. So I drove in my wonderful Honda Accord 2004, as fast as it could go. And I went to his house, family's watching TV. I go into his room, he's kind of foaming at the mouth, he's just out of it. So I pick him up, put him in my Honda, backseat of my Honda Accord, and I end up driving to the hospital, maybe ran a couple of red lights because I needed to get there as fast as I possibly could. And then after he was at the hospital, one of the pastors came and I ended up going, going home, but I found out later that the Doctors and the nurses said, if you, if the person who brought him in did not bring him in at that time, he would have lost his life. And I remember thinking in that moment, that, that was a heavy weight, but here's why I did it. Because I understand the grace that God has given me and that every single life is important, that we can be the one that goes after the one, and it was just my turn to go and do it. It's not because I'm someone special. I don't say it to, I'm the hero of the story. I'm saying it because that's actually what God did with us. In the moments that we were powerless, in the moments that we were at our lowest, he stooped down and picked us up with his love and his grace and brought us to a place and restored us so that we can continue walking in relationship with him. And because we've received so much grace, we can give it to others. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. And we're going to do what we do every single service. And that's go into a time of worship and prayer. And it's really a time for us to respond. Respond to the message. Respond to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. So we ask this question, what's the Holy Spirit speaking to you through this message? You may be in a place where it's like, okay, I need to get plugged into community. I've been isolated for far too long. You may even be watching online. It's like, I need to get plugged in. I need to be in relationship with other people. Some of you may be at the place, it's like, I, I need to learn what honor is. Father, help me become a person who's honorable and who honors people. 
Some of you right now, you, you know that, hey, I need the grace to be my perspective. I need that to be the lens that I look at others through to help them become the person that you desire for them to become. No matter where you are, it could be something else. We're about to go into one more worship song, but we want to have the opportunity to pray with you. In the moment when I ask everyone to stand, there'll be leaders down at the front that would love to have the opportunity to pray with you. And I want to encourage you, do not leave today without coming and receiving prayer. We all need prayer sometime or another. You don't have to be a member of Gateway Church to come down for prayer. So I encourage you to do so. Let me pray for us real quick. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you have brought us into your covenant community to be around people that we can uplift your name, that we can glorify you. And I pray right now that we would be a church that in this house, that we would be people who cherish the community that you placed us in, that we would honor those that are around us and that we would let grace be the perspective that we see everything through. I pray that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would give us rest, that you would give us peace and that you would every single day help us come to a greater understanding of your grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you live in the Houston area or are in town for a visit, we would like to invite you to join us for a service. For service times and location, or more information about Gateway Church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Have a blessed week.